Chapter Thirteen, Part Two of A History of the Philippines. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alma Molino. A History of the Philippines by David Barrows. Chapter Thirteen, Part Two. Assassination of Filipinos. Many of the Filipino leaders were necessarily not well instructed in those rules for the conduct of warfare which civilized peoples have agreed upon as being humane and honorable. Many of them tried, especially in the latter months of the war, when understanding was more widely diffused, to make their conduct conform to international usage. But the revolutionary junta had committed the great crime of ordering the punishment by assassination of all Filipinos who failed to support the insurgent cause no possible justification in the light of modern morality can be found for such a step as this the very worst passions were let loose in carrying out this policy scores of unfortunate men were assassinated many of them as the results of private enmity endless blackmail was extorted and communities were terrorized from one end of the archipelago to the other irregular warfare of the filipinos through the surrender of Spanish forces, the capture of the arsenals of Cavite and Olongapo, and by purchase through Hong Kong, the revolutionary government possessed between 30,000 and 40,000 rifles. These arms were distributed to the different military zones, and the secret organization which existed in each municipality received its proportion. These guns were secreted by the different members of the command, except when occasion arose for effecting a surprise or making an attack. There were no general engagements, but in some towns there was almost nightly shooting. Pickets and small detachments were cut off, and roads became so unsafe throughout most of the archipelago that there was no travel by Americans except under heavy escort. For a long time also, the orders of the commanding general were so lenient that it was impossible properly to punish this conduct when it was discovered. Death of General Lawton the American army, in its attempt to garrison every important town in the islands, was cut up into as many as 550 small detachments of post garrisons. Thus, while there were finally over 70,000 American soldiers in the islands, it was rare for as many as 500 to take the field, and most of the engagements of the year 1900 were by small detachments of 50 to 100 men. It was in one of these small expeditions that the American army suffered the greatest single loss of the war. A few miles east of Manila is the beautiful Marikina Valley, from which is derived the city's supply of water, and the headwaters of this pretty stream lie in the wild and picturesque fastness of San Mateo and Mandalban. Although scarce a dozen miles from the capital and the headquarters of a Filipino brigade, San Mateo was not permanently occupied by the Americans until after the 18th of December, 1899, when a force under General Lawton was led around through the hills to surprise the town. Early in the morning, the American force came pouring down over the hills that lie across the river from the village. They were met by a brisk fire from the insurgent command, scattered along the banks of the river, and in a sugar hacienda close to the stream. Here Lawton, conspicuous in light clothing and helmet, accompanying, as was his custom, the front line of skirmishers, was struck by a bullet and instantly killed. Filipino leaders sent to Guam. 
in november nineteen hundred after the re-election in the united states of president mckinley a much more vigorous policy of war was inaugurated in this month general MacArthur, commanding the division issued a notable general order defining and explaining the laws of war which were being violated and threatening punishment by imprisonment of those guilty of such conduct some thousands of filipinos under this order were arrested and imprisoned thirty-nine leaders among them the high-minded but irreconcilable mabini were in december nineteen hundred sent to a military prison on the island of guam campaigning was much more vigorously prosecuted in all military districts by this time all the american officers had become familiar with the insurgent leaders and these were now obliged to leave the towns and establish quartels in remote barrios and in the mountains these measures pursued through the winter of nineteen hundred to o one broke the fighting strength of the revolutionists the philippine civil commission probably the most influential factor in producing peace resulted from the presence and labors of the civil philippine commission these gentlemen judge william h taft judge luke e wright judge henry c ide professor dean c worcester and professor bernard moses were appointed by the president in the spring of nineteen hundred to legislate for the islands and to prepare the way for the establishment of civil government president mckinley's letter of instructions to this commission will probably be ranked as one of the ablest and most notable public papers in american history the commission reached the islands in june and began their legislative work on september first this body of men remarkable for their high character was able at last to bring about an understanding with the filipino leaders and to assure them of the unselfish and honorable purposes of the american government thus by the early winter of nineteen hundred to o one many filipino gentlemen became convinced that the best interests of the island lay in accepting american sovereignty and that they could honorably advocate the surrender of the insurgent forces these men represented the highest attainments and most influential positions in the islands in december they formed an association known as the federal party for the purpose of inducing the surrender of military leaders obedience to the american government and the acceptance of peace end of the insurrection under these influences the insurrection in the spring of nineteen o one went rapidly to pieces leader after leader surrendered his forces and arms and took the oath of allegiance and quietly returned home by the end of june there were but two zone commanders who had not surrendered general malvar in batangas and general lukban in samar the first civil governor peaceful conditions and security almost immediately followed these surrenders and determined the president to establish civil government at once on july fourth nineteen o one this important step was taken judge taft the president of the philippine commission taking office on that date as the first american civil governor of the philippines on september first the philippine commission was increased by the appointment of three filipino members the Honorable T. H. Bardo de Tavera, M.D., the Honorable Benito Legarda, and the Honorable Jose Luzuriaga of Negros. The Philippine Commission has achieved a remarkable amount of legislation of a very high order. From September 1900 to the end of December 1902, the Commission passed no less than 571 acts of legislation. Some of these were of very great importance and involved long preparation and labor. 
few administrative bodies have ever worked harder and with greater results than the philippine commission during the first two years of its activity the frame of government in all its branches had to be organized and set in motion the civil and criminal law liberalized revenue provided and public instruction remodeled on a very extensive scale the new government the government is a very liberal one and one which gives an increasing opportunity for participation to the filipinos it includes what is called local self-government there are in the islands about one thousand one hundred and thirty two municipalities in these the residents practically manage their own affairs there are thirty-eight organized provinces in the archipelago in which the administration rests with a provincial board composed of the governor treasurer and supervisor or engineer the governor is elected for the term of two years by the councillors of all the towns united in assembly the treasurer and supervisor are appointed by the governor of the philippine archipelago under the rules of the civil service board the civil service is a subject which has commanded the special consideration of the commission it gives equal opportunity to the filipino and to the american to enter the public service and to gain public promotion and the filipino is by law even given the preference where possessed of the requisite ability the insular government for the purposes of administration the insular or central government of the islands is divided into four branches called departments each directed by a secretary who is also a member of the philippine commission these departments are interior secretary worcester finance and justice secretary ide commerce and police secretary wright and public instruction secretary moses until january first nineteen o three and since that date secretary smith under each of these departments are a large number of bureaus by which the many important activities of the government are performed we have only to examine a list of these bureaus to see how many-sided is the work which the government is performing it is a veritable commonwealth complete in all the branches which demand the attention of modern governments thus under the department of the interior there is the bureau of public health with its extremely important duties of combating epidemic diseases and improving public sanitation with its public hospitals sanitariums and charities the bureau of government laboratories for making bacteriological and chemical investigations a bureau of forestry a bureau of mining the philippine weather bureau a bureau of agriculture a bureau of non-christian tribes for conducting the government work in ethnology and for framing legislation for pagan and mohammedan tribes and a bureau of public lands under the department of commerce and police are the bureau of posts signal service the philippines constabulary really an insular army with its force of some sixty five hundred officers and men prisons the coast guard and transportation service with a fleet of about twenty beautiful little steamers nearly all of them newly built for this service and named for islands of the archipelago the coast and geodetic survey doing the much-needed work of charting the dangerous coasts and treacherous waters of the archipelago and the bureau of engineering which has in its charge great public works many of which are already under way under the department of finance and justice are the insular treasurer the insular auditor the bureau of customs and immigration the bureau of internal revenue the insular cold storage and ice plant and the great bureau of justice under the department of public instruction there is the bureau of education in charge of the system of public schools 
a bureau of printing and engraving with a new and fully equipped plant a bureau of architecture a bureau of archives a bureau of statistics and the philippine museum revenues and expenditures the maintenance of these numerous activities calls for an expenditure of large sums of money but the insular government and the Filipino people are fortunate in having had their finances managed with exceptional ability. The revenues of the islands for the past fiscal year have amounted to about $10,638,000 gold. Public expenditures, including the purchase of equipment such as the Coast Guard fleet and the forwarding of great public works, such as the improving of the harbor of Manila, amounted during fiscal year of 1903 to about $9,150,000 gold. The government has at all times preserved a good balance in its treasury, but the past year has seen some diminution in the amount of revenues owing to the great depreciation of silver money, the falling off of imports, the wide prevalence of cholera, and the poverty of many parts of the country as a result of war and the loss of livestock through pests. To assist the government of the Philippines, the Congress of the United States, in February 1903, with great and characteristic generosity, appropriated the sum of $3 million gold as a free gift to the people and government of the Philippines. The Judicial System Especially fortunate, also, have been the labors of the Commission in establishing a judicial system and revising the Spanish law. The legal ability of the Commission is unusually high. As at present constituted, the judicial system consists of a Supreme Court composed of seven justices, three of whom at the present time are Filipinos. Besides trying cases over which it has original jurisdiction, this court decides cases of appeal from the courts of first instance, fifteen in number, which sit in different parts of the islands. Each town, moreover, has its justices of the peace for the trial of small cases and for holding preliminary examinations in cases of crimes. By the new code of civil procedure, the administration of justice has been so simplified that there are probably no courts in the world where justice can be more quickly secured than here. System of Public Schools Probably no feature of the American government in the islands has attracted more attention than the system of public schools. Popular education, while by no means wholly neglected under the Spanish government, was inadequate, and was continually opposed by the clerical and conservative Spanish forces, who feared that the liberalizing of the Filipino people would be the loosening of the control of both Spanish state and church. On the contrary, the success of the American government, as of any government in which the people participate, depends upon the intelligence and education of the people. Thus, the American government is as anxious to destroy ignorance and poverty as the Spanish government and the Spanish church were desirous of preserving these deeply unfortunate conditions. Americans believe that if knowledge is generally spread among the Filipino people, if there can be a real understanding of the genius and purpose of our American institutions, there will come increasing content and satisfaction to dwell under American law. Thus, education was early encouraged by the American army, and it received the first attention of the commission. The widespread system of public schools which now exists in these islands was organized by the first general superintendent of public instruction, Dr. Fred W. Atkinson, and by Professor Bernard Moses of the Philippine Commission. Instruction in the English Language The basis of this public instruction is the English language. This was early decided upon in view of the great number of Filipino dialects, the absence of a common native language or literature, 
and the very moderate acquaintance with Spanish by any except the educated class. It is fortunate for the Filipino people that English has been introduced here and that its knowledge is rapidly spreading. Knowledge of language is power, and the more widely spoken the tongue, the greater the possession of the individual who acquires it. Of all the languages of the world, English is today the most widely spoken and is most rapidly spreading. Moreover, English is preeminently the language of the Far East. From Yokohama to Australia, and from Manila to the Isthmus of Suez, English is the common medium of communication. It is the language alike of business and of diplomacy. The Filipino people, so eager to participate in all the busy life of Eastern Asia, so ambitious to make their influence felt and their counsels regarded, will be debarred from all this unless they master this mighty English tongue. The Filipino Assembly Thus, after four and a half years of American occupation, the sovereignty of the United States has been established in the archipelago, and a form of government, unique in the history of colonial administration, inaugurated. One other step in the contemplation of Congress, which will still further make the government a government of the Filipino people, remains to be taken. This is the formation of a Filipino assembly of delegates or representatives, chosen by popular vote from all the Christianized provinces of the archipelago. The recent census of the Philippines will form the basis for the apportionment of this representation. This assembly will share the legislative power on all matters pertaining to the Christian people of the Philippines and those parts of the islands inhabited by them. When this step shall have been taken, the government of the Philippine Islands will be like the typical and peculiarly American form of government known as territorial. Territorial Form of Government in the United States The American Union is composed of a number of states or commonwealths which, while differing vastly in wealth and population, are on absolutely equal footing in the Union. The inhabitants of these states form politically the American sovereignty. They elect the President and Congress, and through their state legislatures, may change or amend the form of the American state itself. Besides these states, there have always been large possessions of the nation called territories. These territories are extensive countries, too sparsely inhabited or too undeveloped politically to be admitted, in the judgment of the American Congress, to statehood in the Union. Their inhabitants do not have the right to vote for the President. Neither have they representation in the American Congress. These territories are governed by Congress, through territorial governments, and over them Congress has full sovereign powers. That is, as the Supreme Court of the United States has decided and explained, while Congress, when legislating for the states in the Union, has only those powers of legislation which have been specifically granted by the Constitution, in legislating for the territories it has all the powers which the Constitution has not specifically denied. The only limitations on Congress are those which, under the American system of public law, guarantee the liberty of the individual, his freedom of religious belief and worship, his right to just, open, and speedy trial, his right to the possession of his property, and other precious privileges, the result of centuries of development in the English-speaking race, which make up civil liberty. These priceless securities, which no power of the government can take away, abridge, or infringe, are as much the possession of the inhabitants of a territory as of a state. The government of these territories has varied greatly in form, and may be changed at any time by Congress, but it usually consists of a governor and supreme court, appointed by the President of the United States, and a legislature elected by the people. 
since 1783, there has always been territory so held and governed by the United States, and if we may judge from the remarkable history of these regions, this form of government of dependent possessions is the most successful and most advantageous to the territory itself that has ever been devised. At the present time, the territories of the United States are Oklahoma, the Indian Territory, New Mexico, Arizona, Alaska, the Hawaiian Islands, Puerto Rico, the Philippines, and Guam. The territorial form of government has frequently been regarded by American statesmen as a temporary condition to be followed at a comparatively early date by statehood. But after more than a century of development, territorial government, as shaped by Congress and as defined by the Supreme Court, shows itself so flexible and advantageous that there is no reason why it should not be regarded as a permanent and final form. Whether it will long prevail in the Philippines depends very largely upon the political development and ultimate desires of the Filipino people themselves. For the present, it is the only suitable form of government and the only form which it is statesmanlike to contemplate. Filipino Independence The events of the last few years seem to indicate that the American nation will not entrust the Philippines with independence until they have immeasurably gained in political experience and social self-control. The question is too great to be discussed here, but this much may be said. The rapid march of international politics in this coming century will not be favorable to the independence of the small and imperfectly developed state. Independence, while it may fascinate the popular leader, may not be the most advantageous for this people. Independence, under present tendencies of international trade, means economic isolation. Independence, in the present age, compels preparedness for war. Preparedness for war necessitates the maintenance of strong armies, the building of great navies, and the great economic burdens required to sustain these armaments. Especially would this be true of an archipelago so exposed to attack, so surrounded by ambitious powers, and so near the center of coming struggle as are the Philippines. Japan, with a population of 46 million, wonderful for their industry and economy, and passionately devoted to their emperor, is independent but at great cost. The burden of her splendid army and her modern navy weighs heavily upon her people, consumes a large proportion of their earnings, and sometimes seems to be threatening to strain the resources of the nation almost to the point of breaking. Advantages of American Control Surely, a people is economically far more privileged if, like the Philippines under the American government, or Australia under the British, they are compelled to sustain no portion of the burden of exterior defense. The navies of the United States today protect the integrity of the Philippine archipelago. The power of a nation so strong and so terrible, when once aroused, that no country on the globe would think for a minute of wantonly molesting its territory, shields the Filipino from all outside interference and permits him to expend all his energy in the development of those abilities to which his temperament and endowment inspire him. American government means freedom of opportunity. There is no honorable pursuit, calling, or walk of life under heaven in which the Filipino may not now engage and in which he will not find his endeavors encouraged and his success met with generous appreciation. In politics, his progress may be slow, because progress here is not the development of the individual nor of the few, but of the whole. But in the no less noble pursuits of science, literature, and art, we may in this very generation see Filipinos achieving more than notable success and distinction, not only for themselves, but for their land. Patriotic Duty 
patriotic duty as regards the philippines means for the american a wholesome belief in the uprightness of the national purposes a loyal appreciation of the men who have here worked wisely and without selfishness and have borne the brunt of the toil a loyalty to the government of the philippines and of the united states so long as these governments live honestly rule justly and increase liberty and a frank and hearty recognition of every advance made by the filipino people themselves and for the filipinos patriotic duty means a full acceptance of government as it has now been established as better than what has preceded and perhaps superior to what he himself would have chosen and could have devised a loyalty to his own people and to their interests and to the public interests that shall overcome the personal selfishness that has set its cruel mark on every native institution in this land and a resolution to obey the laws preserve the peace and use faithfully every opportunity for the development of his own character and the betterment of the race end of recording end of chapter thirteen part two Recording by Alma Molino.